talked about the last couple verses a little, but we'll pick up there in Romans chapter 4, verse number 23. Now, we've been walking down through Abraham's life and the faith that Abraham had. Not, not necessarily what Abraham did. Abraham had mighty works of faith that we can look at and read about, but it was the faith that brought those works. <clears throat> and what he's focusing here upon is what made Abraham righteous, and that was his faith. And he says he was fully persuaded. Now how did Abraham get fully persuaded? We said the definition last time, completely assured or convinced. Abraham was completely assured or convinced that God that promised was able to perform. How and who convinced Abraham? I believe the same way that you and I are convinced and completely assured, the same way that Peter was, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Paul the Apostle, when he was walking on the road, to Damascus, lost and undone, it was the Lord that appeared to Saul and convinced him of the salvation that was in Jesus Christ. It was the Lord that convinced Abraham. It's the Lord that convinced us. And we'll, we'll see that here in verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. <clears throat> and you know today, lots of different doctrines lots of different opinions. Some you'll hear, some you probably will never hear. But one, and it's big in our little area here, is dispensationalism. And God, and all that means is, God saved people differently through, down through the ages of time. Well, I believe right here, we've got evidence that Abraham received righteousness in the exact same manner that you and I will receive righteousness. It was not written for Abraham's sake alone. And you know, we've got other scripture that says the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you read this, verse number 10, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. That was the law of God you're going to tread out corn with an ox, you don't muzzle his mouth, you let him take place. You let him to eat what he needs while he labors. So he says this, Doth God take care for oxen? Was God's concern for the oxen the reason that he put that law in there? Well, he's going to say, answer that question. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So that law was written for us as well. And all of the Word of God, from Genesis until today, all of the little obscure laws, and the things that I look at and read, and I just can't see it nor understand it, it was written for our sakes today, it was written for their sakes in Moses' day. And a thousand years down the line, it'll be written for their sakes then. That's the manner that God put this book together. 
that it's all profitable and it's all for us as we live here today. Now God said that He imputed, He accounted to righteousness onto Abraham because he had faith. And that was not just for Abraham, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So the righteousness given to Abraham by faith, that's the same righteousness that you and I will obtain by faith. God's method of dealing with man remains the same all through the ages from Abraham the father of this faith unto you and I we are partakers of the same promises of the same inheritance of the same righteousness and of the same salvation all orchestrated by God. Now if you're going to make things carnal and you're going to make things after men's wisdom and after the flesh then you're going to have a problem with that because they offered sacrifices in the Old Testament we don't do that today so they must have been saved different than the way we are that's the carnal mind that's taking and applying scripture in a manner that it's not meant to be applied they offered sacrifices they did and those that were saved they weren't saved by the offering of the sacrifices they were offering those in faith, believing that God was sending the ultimate sacrifice down the line. Moses told them of him. There's a prophet coming like me, but he's going to be greater than I am. That was the message all through the Old Testament, pointing to the one that would ultimately defeat sin. Now were there those that offered sacrifices that did not believe and died lost? There were. We have evidence of it. There were those. Are there those today that go to church and are baptized with a, a profession of the flesh? There are those today. It's no different. The picture in the flesh, it may look and appear different, but the truth is we're just like man has always been. Man is just as depraved in himself today as he was when Adam fell in the garden. Man still in need of the grace and power of God and man still can only receive forgiveness and righteousness by faith. And again, if it was any other way, righteousness would be unobtainable. If there was a peace left for me to accomplish, I would fail in my part to accomplish that. But the Lord made a way that man could obtain righteousness and it be imputed upon him. So we could look at other places pointing the scripture to this means. He says of the children of Israel that were brought out of Egypt, those that died in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10, these were our examples. They were written for our admonition. That is not just a historical account. The Old Testament is not just a historical account, but it's there. I can see the mistake that they made. I can see their doubt of God. I can see their unbelief in turning away. And I can see God bringing destruction upon them for their actions and for their unbelief. And I can be admonished by that and say if I disbelieve God, in the same way that they do, I can expect the same treatment. 
Right? In Noah's day, those that didn't believe, they were destroyed. All through the book, we find that to be the case. As well as those that believe, Abraham believed, and righteousness was imputed to him. Now we don't have righteousness of our own self. But by faith, God will impute righteousness onto our account in Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who's God able to forgive? Is there any that God's unable to impute righteousness upon? This is open unto those that are near, the Jew in Jerusalem, and to those that are far off. And I would imagine when Peter spoke those words to think that it was Gentiles in the United States of America 2,000 years later, that's a far off from where Peter was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell upon them. But there the grace of God reaches and to as many as the Lord will call. Peter said those words. See, man wants to present today if you feel like it, if you want to, if you'd like to make a decision, if you don't want to go to hell, just come on down and you can be saved. Peter, don't say that on the day of Pentecost. It's open to any and all that the Lord would call. And when the Lord calls, there's righteousness sufficient for whoever it is that He's called, without question and without doubt. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on Him. Now, there is, and Greg has said many times, how can you bring together God's sovereignty and choice and man and his responsibility to believe the Word of God? I don't know that you'll ever reconcile it satisfactory. Greg has said it's like train tracks that go along together, but they're always parallel and they never really meet. It's hard for the carnal mind to get a grasp of a God that directs all things according to His will and yet man has responsibility to believe. But we can reconcile and settle a few things that man in his natural fallen state in sin under the power of Satan and in complete darkness he's unable to come to Christ. He's not able to. He is held by the devil. The devil is greater than he is and he is unable to escape his grasp. There must be grace in order for man to come to God. So the grace must be present. The call of God must be there in order for man to come to Christ. And the Lord Jesus says as much no man can come to the Father but by me. And Jesus also says that no man can come to me except my Father which sent me draw him. God must be at work 
in order for man to come to God. So any thought now that I can get up and say whosoever will this morning and whoever wants to can just hop up and get saved, that can't be the case, can it? It's got to be those that God has called. So then why does God say whosoever will? Because all of man can be saved when God's calling. Is all of man going to be called this morning? They're not. All of man's never been called. Boy, boy, that, that'll draw them back right there. But they've not. They've not always been called. They're not going to be called. You know who he is? Who God sees fit to call today, that's who will be called. So, <clears throat> if we believe, now there, there is the caveat there, man must respond to the call of God. And we will, as we get deeper into Romans, the response to the call of God, we, we'll look at it more. And if I say anything now, it might hurt your feelings to not cover it completely. But response will happen when the call of God is made. I, I believe it absolutely guaranteed. When God calls... He will not lose one that's His. That's the Word of God. And so, we'll, we'll go on and we'll, that, that will come up. Romans 8, 9, 10, 11. We'll see all of that. If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So, the Lord Jesus, there is the focus of the faith. God, he says in Corinthians, that God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto Himself. This was God's plan for reconciliation for a man that had fallen and was under the power of Satan. God said, I'm going to bring man back and I'm going to accomplish that through the work of my Son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. And He was delivered for our offenses. So delivered, that means to surrender, yield up, or transmit. And you could apply that in a couple different ways. That He was delivered of Mary into the world with a body. He says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do Thy will, O God. A body Thou hast prepared me. That body that was prepared the Lord Jesus in the womb of Mary, that was prepared and delivered and life provided so that He could be destroyed in payment for our offenses. That was the purpose of the Lord Jesus being born, that in the end He would be delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Now the word there means acquittal. The public declaration of God of the forgiveness of man. It's not something done in a corner that nobody can know about. That's what a pile of people claim today. That well God saved me and you can't see my heart. You don't know what's really in my heart. But this acquittal is something that's public 
and available. You know, if, if you're convicted of something and they're going to take you to trial of, of murder and there's evidence proving that you're innocent and they acquit you of that crime and they say there's no way this man could have done it, wouldn't you like for that to be on the news? Wouldn't you like for the news that you were innocent and you did not commit the crime, you'd like for people to get word of that? Well, those that God justifies, there is a public declaration of their righteousness made, and it is by the giving of the Holy Ghost. Remember where Peter said, Come, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Those souls that received the Holy Ghost in their earthen vessels, that was the public declaration that God had removed their sins and He had provided them with righteousness. God declared it so that all of man could see His work and His forgiveness. So in Zechariah chapter 13... Zechariah 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. So the Lord's sword is turned against the shepherd. Now who's the shepherd? The Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And the sword of the Lord was turned against him because there were sheep that had committed offenses Because people, we're not talking about animals, but people had broken and transgressed the law of God and the law called for judgment. That's what the law called where David read this morning. The law of Moses says, Stoner, what do you think we ought to do? Well, the law still demands judgment. The law calls for punishment of iniquity and of sin. But the sword of the Lord that should have slain you and I, it was turned to the shepherd and the shepherd gave himself in place of the sheep. He was delivered unto Pilate because of the offenses that you and I committed. There's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace because the Lord Jesus bore the punishment of our sins. One more place. In Galatians 1, verse number 4. Who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. He was given for our sins. His life was destroyed in the place of us for our iniquities and for our offenses and His resurrection. Now, Him just dying on a cross, if that would have been the end of it, 
and He had not resurrected, and we looked at this Easter morning, but if He had not resurrected, we would have no way of knowing or believing that He was the Son of God and that He was perfect. But His resurrection, it it announced a few things. That He had lived a perfect, sinless life and death could not hold Him. You know why David was still in the grave? You know why Moses is still dead? You know why these men are still buried? It's because they were sinners. And death has power over sin and they're held in the grave. But the Lord Jesus could not be held because there was no sin there. And because He was sinless, He had the power to lay His life down and He had the power to take it back up again. That was a declaration that His life was sinless and that the sacrifice was acceptable with God. We know that. We know that the sacrifice was sufficient and acceptable to God because He rose again. As well as you and I. That in salvation, we have a Savior, not that's dead, not a God that can't hear, not a Redeemer that's unable to do anything further, but one that is resurrected and sitting at the right hand of God, as He says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 7, verse number 23, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So what he's saying is, Aaron, the brother of Moses, he was not the only high priest. Because Aaron died, somebody had to take his place. And for 1,500 years, give or take, that happened. Man would die, another would take his place. There were many priests. But this man, this man Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. This man Jesus, his priesthood and his intercession never ceases. But He's always with the Father. And because of that, the church has knowledge. A firm foundation. A surety. That all of those that come to God in Jesus Christ are saved unto the very uttermost of their life. There's not one place that the Lord has missed Not one sin that cannot be forgiven. There's not going to be one of them lost and undone because the shepherd is sitting at the right hand of God watching over those that are His. He's doing that today. And He'll be doing that when I die. And if a thousand years remain of this earth, He'll still be there and He'll still be watching over His flock and His people. Well, the world's going in such a way, if it goes a thousand years, I don't know if there'll be anybody left. Look at how the world's went in the last 2,000. 
I realize history isn't taught like it ought to have been, but the Catholics tried to burn every single copy of the Bible that they could get a hold of throughout history. Sent us into the Dark Ages. You know what was called the Dark Ages? Because they shut down the church. They shut down preaching. They made up their own doctrine. They made up their own service. And they took the Word of God out of people's hands. Dark Ages. A time of darkness. But you know what God did? Even in that. And we just started a Bible study this Wednesday in Elijah. Even in Ahab's wicked day, God had a number. He said, I have reserved. God's reserved some today and He'll have some reserved when He comes back. His Word tells me that's the case. It's not up to man whether man feels like it. They wouldn't be a church here today if that was the case. They had to shut it down. There would have been none left. And yet God allowed men to wake up out of that doctrine and the lies of the church that they had spread for years in the time of Reformation and discover again, anew, things that they had never realized or heard before. God brought a Reformation where the doctrine of the Lord Jesus could be preached again. Tell me God's not able to work. God can work. God can keep. And God will keep. They're saved to the uttermost. So He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the justification then, there's no more question about it. Those in Jesus Christ and those that are born again, they are justified. That word there, render, show, or regard as just or innocent. In the Lord Jesus, all the souls that come, though they may be filthy, rotten, guilty, wicked sinners, in Jesus, by faith, they obtain righteousness. And being justified, they're at peace with God. You know what the lost world has? They have a God that is opposed to the way they live, opposed to their opinions, and when they die and leave this world, God's going to be opposed to them in judgment. And mankind as a whole today is at war against God, laboring to try to stamp out, fog over, or throw away any truth that God would have of the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. The world is laboring to do that against God and God's working against man. There's a warfare going on. But those that are in Jesus, through Jesus, we have peace. And that's what he says here, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way to have peace with God because of my guilt, my opposition to the law, and the law, the righteousness of God's requirement of judgment. I can't have peace except my sins be dealt with. Well, in Jesus, sins can be dealt with, man can be justified, and we can have peace in Psalms 85. And we looked at this a month or two ago, I guess. But in Psalms 85, verse 9, Surely salvation is nigh them that fear Him, 
that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So what these are, and you maybe you don't see it immediately, these are polar opposites. How can I obtain mercy when I hear the truth about what I am? The truth is, I am a wicked and a vile and a rebellious sinner. The truth is, I lived in a manner that was opposed and against God and against His Word and that's the way that I wanted to live. Now that's the truth. Does that warrant any mercy? You know, you and I would be inclined to have mercy when there's ignorance involved. But what do you do then when I know what God says and I go against what God says knowingly and willfully? How are you going to have mercy there? You and I would not. No longer is there winking. But we're not talking about ignorance here. We're talking about a knowledge of what sin and the requirement of God is and we willingly, knowingly do the wrong thing. We break it. But you know in Jesus Christ, He was the truth. The law lived to perfection. And the mercy of God, Him being sacrificed for our sin as well as righteousness, the perfection, Perfection, that is righteousness. God's absolute perfection and pureness and holiness. Not one blemish, not one spot. Righteousness and peace have kissed one another. Now when we talk about righteousness as God defines it, not righteousness as I look at my neighbors and people that I work with and I'm several steps above all those people. That's man's definition. God's definition is, Vaughn, for you to be righteous, you can't have one blemish, not one failure, not one slip-up can you have. And that's not just Vaughn, but that's everybody through the house. In order for you to be righteous, you cannot have one error or sin. Boy, we're nowhere near that, are we? And yet, righteousness of God and peace. So these unrighteous people can have peace with God, righteousness and peace in Jesus Christ have kissed one another. And I'm going to say this, and this may be controversial, but if you're going to heaven, you're going to have to be perfect. There's no other way to go to heaven other than being perfect. Now you know where that leaves us? Well, there ain't nobody perfect. That's right. We'll be whole in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We'll go on His reputation and on His work and by His sacrifice and outside 
of Jesus. I don't care if it's in the, the wickedness of the world, in religion, anywhere outside of the Lord Jesus, there will be no peace with God. There will be wrath, anger, and judgment delivered to every soul. But there at the cross, God allowed righteousness and peace so that man, we wouldn't have to be opposed to God and God be opposed to us, but in Jesus we can have mercy and be at peace, not in the future, not when the millennial reign comes, but He's gave us peace today through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Bible says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the tense that Paul wrote this in is the tense that God meant for it to be in. It's not past tense. And it's not future tense. We're going to have peace one day. But we have it presently, currently, at this time. Those that are in Jesus are at peace with God. And you know what that means? I don't have to be afraid. Is God going to cut me down in judgment today? He may kill me today, but it ain't going to be in judgment. It'll be in mercy because I know through Jesus that it'll be far better for me if He cuts me down today. It will be. That's the Word of God. Now, I don't want to be cut down today, but if I am, this man that don't want to die, he'll be gone. And that inward man will forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be better. Better. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we have access. We have admission. That is our means to come into this grace wherein we stand. And I believe here in this verse we can see the picture of it. In John, and I guess this is familiar, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse number 14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Grace for grace. Now that's hard. That's hard for me. What's he saying? Grace for grace. Well, I believe here you can see that by the grace of God, we received faith and were brought into this salvation. But you know that grace that saved us and it was amazing grace that brought us to the place that we're at peace with God. But now we're standing as David alluded with a word picture. We're not left in the miry clay of sin and the wickedness of this world but God has set His people on a firm foundation on the solid rock. And there the church stands. But the Lord didn't just leave us there at peace and now He's gone and we're standing there alone. But we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Jesus Christ brought grace 
For us to believe the gospel, respond to the call of God and be saved, and He's giving grace unto the church today that wherever it is that you stand, and I'm not saying you're standing on a different Savior or salvation than me, but we're all going to leave here tonight, and we're all going to go to a different place where we live, with different people that we're around. Most of us Monday morning are going to go to a different job around different people and we've endured and we've went through multiple differing things in our lives and maybe we're enduring things different from one another. But you know God, He delivered you grace that you could be saved and He's delivering grace. We have access into grace today to help us to stand wherever we are in this wicked world. You know how we have that? Through Jesus. I have not now. This is what people think. Revival time is the worst time. Well now we'll do better and pray harder and God's going to give us revival. Now think about that. That may not be said explicitly, but that is what's said most of the time. The church is going to do better and God's going to bless us. <clears throat> now is that the way it works? Am I going to get more grace? More power? More spirit because I'm doing better? That's not my access into the grace wherein we stand. My access into this grace is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the God's truth, the best I can do today and I've grown since I've got saved by the grace of God. And I believe with all of my soul that anybody that knew me before the Lord saved me and saw me today, I believe they would say that man's totally different than what he used to be. That's the power of God. But I'll tell you today, still the best I can do is more than a stone's throw from righteousness that God declares. So do you know how when I come and pray, do you know how I pray? God give me grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let me to pray. Let this wicked and sin-cursed man, this man that comes so short of what he ought to be, let this man that's not done as he ought to do today, let this man that's failed in every way, would you give me grace through our Lord Jesus for my sins to be covered, me to have a clear conscience and grace to pray to you. People don't come to God and say we've been a good boy today. God, hear our prayer. We always come through the Lord Jesus. We have access to grace through the Lord Jesus. Now I say this, you want to do better? I believe this in the heart of everyone that is truly saved. In the inward man, there is a desire for God. You know what I need in order to do better, I need to pray God through our Lord Jesus for more of that overcoming grace to constrain this outward man more and more. <clears throat> because without grace now, I believe we'll all agree with this, that are saved, that have been in this way any span of time, if grace pulls back, this man's going down. He's going into sin 
outside of the grace of God. So it's by grace. It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we can believe and be saved. It's by grace that we're saved. And today the church stands and endures all things. Why preacher, you can't say that you know the church is going to endure. The church may blow out when things go south. That They may be a pile that blow out. There may be. But you know what? That'll be, that'll be evidence that they were never of the church. But I'll say this. You let them turn the guns and the swords against the church, the true church of the living God, they will endure all things. Not because of who they are, but because God has equipped them with grace where they stand. You don't know what I've went through. I know this. God's grace is sufficient for those that are His. And those that blow out, I don't care what they've went through, they are missing the grace through our Lord Jesus that would enable them to stand. The Lord ain't in the business of losing sheep. He's a good shepherd. He knows them that are His. And He's never, never lost one that was His. That's the Word of God. We believe that too.